Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Ali Costello is a white, non-binary, queer illustrator, food grower, honeybee tender, and seeker of mysticism. Through their creative work, which includes both visual arts and community building and reimagining, Ali explores themes of interconnectedness, cosmology, reciprocity, queer ecology, biomimicry, emergence, and they are interested in cultivating our radical imaginations to help us shape our emergent new world. Ollie, having followed your artistry and your advocacy for many years now, I am so pleased to welcome you to Cultivating Place. Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. It's really a delight and an honor to be here. So, you know, I think of you as an artist who uh, intersects so beautifully with the gardened and the loved earth and her plants and her animals and her humans in all that your artistry brings to me or brings out in my response to your artistry. But I would love for you to to introduce yourself a little bit uh, the way you might introduce yourself to a group of strangers, you know, how, how do you how do you say who you are and what you do and maybe where plants fit in all of that, Ollie? Definitely. Um, thank you for that opportunity to say hello and introduce myself and for that nice affirming reflection of my work. My name is Ollie. I use they, them pronouns. Many people know me as Molly Costello, and I'm actually in the early stages of a name change as we speak today. So I just want to say thank you for being really flexible and affirming of me in that process. I'm calling in today from the occupied ancestral homeland of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and the Potawatomi people. And uh, this, you know what, actually, can I go back on that? Okay, I'm yes, just going to start absolutely. from the top. My name is Ollie. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, Most people know me as Molly Costello, and I'm in the early stages of a name change as we are speaking today. So I just wanted to say thank you for being flexible and affirming of me in this process, Jennifer. I'm calling in today from the occupied ancestral homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Adawa, the Ojibwe, and the Potawatomi people, also known as Chicago. And I work as an illustrator here in my apartment in the city. I am also um, a food grower and a yard sharer. I'm a police and prison abolitionist. I tend honeybees and save seeds for our neighborhood seed library. I consider myself a perpetual student of the many incredible intelligent beings that I'm thrilled to cohabitate this earth with. And I'm interested in exploring how we can use our relationships and our imaginations and our practices to shape the future. That is just like the perfect garden right there, Ollie. All that you just put out there is rich. It will resonate with everybody out there who is trying to engage with their gardens and garden in a way that affirms all of this 
biodiversity of life. And before we get into your artistry and how it has been born out in you, I would love to have you take us back a little bit and share with people your kind of germination story of who who were the the people and the places and the plants that grew you into a relatively young human to hold all of this in their heart and their art. Look at little rhyme I just <laughs> made, Ollie. Take us back a little bit, maybe start with with where you were born and raised and and those earliest influences whenever they came into your life. Mm. Uh, so yes, going back early uh, in my life, we we moved around a bit when I was much younger, uh, born in Atlanta, and we moved to New Hampshire, where I spent the first uh, six years of my life uh, living up against several acres of the northern hardwood forest. But then mm. uh, when I was six, we moved to suburban Southern California and uh, had a relatively uh, small little suburban home there up against a row of beautiful eucalyptus trees that used to be the the windbreaks for the agricultural fields that were slowly developed um, into housing developments. And yes, my my grandfather was a biologist, a, a biology professor um, in his professional years, and I think handed down a lot of um, appreciation of the natural world and of plants and landscapes to uh, my father and his siblings. And we grew up traveling uh, the Southwest, visiting the national parks. So I have a lot of, of loving memories of those wonderful landscapes. And I think a pretty important place in my life is uh, actually my my late uncle's monastery in uh, Old Snowmass, Colorado. Yes, my great uncle, who um, passed away a few few years ago, was a a monk at St. Benedict's Monastery in Old Snowmass for about 60 years. So my father grew up uh, visiting there every other year, and we grew up visiting there uh, every other summer. And was really a place where I was able to witness uh, what I perceived as sacred outside of the church and and bring that into the landscape, it broadened my uh, sense of reverence uh, to witness that community there and the beautiful setting in the landscape. And that was where some of my earliest memories of stargazing come from. Ah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So the monastery was a bit higher elevation and the sky there was a lot clearer than, especially here in Chicago, but in other uh, urban areas where I lived. And that profound sense of that dome of light, I just felt so close to the stars and so close to a sense of the sacred and the wonder and the imagination that opens up from there. So those are some some childhood um uh, imprints on, on, on my life. Uh, and after college, I think my relationship with, with plants and, and, and agriculture really started towards the, the end of college uh, when I was uh, starting to take some food system courses. And then just a couple months before graduating, I, I teamed up with two friends of mine that I had been doing some climate-related organizing with and decided to start a 
local branch of a, a national nonprofit called Grand Aspirations that was working to uh, help young people build uh, local skills to address uh, social, economic, and environmental uh, issues uh, through community projects. So uh, 2011, we started our first summer program and brought on a team of 25 to 30 other young people and we, it was kind of popular education style. And so we started talking about mm -hmm. a lot, covering quite a breadth of, of issues and started playing with ideas about how we could be addressing some of these larger issues on a local scale. And eventually over the years, mm. those, those on year long projects that happened in between the summer programs and along with the summer programs became um, a children's garden program that we ran out of the front yard of our old community house and we started doing uh, sustainable landscaping, building rain gardens uh, and planting native oh, gardens and actually uh, went through the process of writing the business plan to start a cooperative business. Um, but we were all about under 25 at this point. So I think it was a little early for any of us to uh, put both of our feet in the water of, of running a business. And then a project that is still uh, uh, near and dear to my heart is uh, our yard sharing network that that formed out of um, our local project, which is called Let's Go Chicago. And yeah, the, the idea there was that um, Rogers Park is quite a, a dense neighborhood where I live and there's almost no vacant lots here. And so as we were conceiving of, of what kind of work that we could be doing um, with each other in our community. Food growing was obviously an aspect of, of what we wanted to lean into and explore, but without much land, we, we were, were met with um, the need to imagine other possibilities. And one of the uh, nice men who worked at the church that we were partnering with for our programming said, hey, I have a big sunny backyard that I don't do anything with. You could grow food there. And we took all of our uh, startup funding and uh, went and visited that backyard. And next thing we knew with, with the help of some volunteers, we had um, a almost a full yard planted with vegetable crops. And the idea just really grew from there. And the next season we added, I think another five more yards in the following season, a couple more. Oh, and so we had eight yards at the peak of, of the network, but we were also really interested in, I'm so happy to be on this podcast cultivating place because the aspect of, of placemaking was central to the idea of, of uh, the art sharing network al along with growing food is let's create spaces where we can be together, where we can meet more of our neighbors, where we can share skills together, share stories together. The idea of yard sharing, in my mind, is one of the most beautiful forms of what we think of as community mm. garden. You know, it's it's not a, a state empty lot. It's not, you know, that somebody has granted the right for a, a lot of different people to to be in a community garden. And I love community gardens as a model. But this model of community gardens is working at even more of the layers of what it means to be a community and in community and making porous these bounds, boundaries that we often uh, perceive or, or place around our own mm. spaces uh, to, to fill that with humans and, and life and 
the the alchemy that comes from that uh, energy is just, it's one of the most beautiful forms to me of community gardening. And so about what year was this peak of the yard sharing endeavor? And then I have a couple more questions to ask about everything you just shared. Oh, so we started the yard sharing network in 2011, and that was the initial year with with our first garden, and then added more yards the following two years, I believe. And unfortunately, what our organization kind of dissolved in 2015, and a number of those folks that had hosted the yard sharing network moved away. So we were reduced down a bit in terms of our, of our capacity and what land we still had access to. But I still do garden in this yard of this friend who who donated his land so graciously to us. Mm. I, I would say the only place I have ever grown food is in, in this friend's yard. But I do now have an apartment w- with um, some yard space in the backyard that I'm grateful to be able to garden in. But yes, my friends, there's, a I think, about 12 of us that still garden there regularly together. We have our first seasonal meeting in two days as as we warm up mm. here. And it has been incredibly nourishing to have this structure in my life. We meet there regularly twice a week, usually on Wednesday evenings and Saturday mornings without a lot of pressure on each other. It's just some framework for us to show up and be together and, and work together and to have other people in my life regularly who I'm seeing just on a casual basis, especially uh, while the pandemic has been going on, has been really nourishing. And I'm really, really grateful for the space and the ability to co-dream up these spaces with our plant friends and and with my, my human friends and to celebrate our harvest together. We have an abundant black raspberry plant that was the first couple rootstocks were given to me by some other friends in the neighborhood who said, oh, we have too much, please take some. And um, now we have that wonderful abundance of of so much fruit. So last summer we had a a raspberry picking day and we set up a little (laughs) picnic table in the yard and my partner, brought uh, our camping stove and we made crepes and we did a little show and tell Mm -hmm. and read poems. And my friend Jenny wrote a a yard sharing song about our yard sharing project. And it was just a lot of joy. And and really what I love celebrating is, is kind of the fruits of our labor together. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're speaking this week with artist and advocate Ollie Costello through their remarkable colors and forms and interconnections made visible from the life of the soil to the lives and forms of plants and humans, right on up to the myriad stars in our galaxied night skies. Ollie draws us all together. We'll be back for more with Ollie. Stay with us. (music) 
Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the rich intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Hey, it's Jennifer. If you do one thing following this week's episode, please do this. Go look online at Ollie's artwork, either by going to cultivatingplace.com and following the podcast tab to this week's show notes, or by going straight to mollycostello.com. I think you will see what I mean about their beauty, the whole cosmology and caring world view of them. A light with stars and the stardust that we all are. It gets me at the knees every time. Ollie's work reminds me how much I want to live up to their vision of all the best that we all can be as gardeners, as humans, as carbon waiting to be cycled back around. I really hope it does the same for you. We all need a boost of hope and big badass thinking around what we are truly capable of. Thank you for just that this week, Ollie. We're back now to our conversation with visual artist, gardener, and community builder with passionate imagination, Ollie Costello. As we come back, Ollie and I explore the importance of community and reimagining and practicing how to create and care for community, garden and otherwise, at the different stages of our lives. I majored in visual communication, so definitely was mm-hmm. going down an art track. And then, um, yep. I don't want to say got segued because I, I there was definitely some inten- a lot of intentional choice that uh, had me making the, the decisions I was making, which was to yeah be working with with other young people my age and asking critical questions about our future and all of that has been uh, extremely influential to how I, I show up in the world now and the themes that I explore in my work. I did have a, a minor in environmental studies, so there was some overlap there that kind of uh, opened the door to this program and the projects that unfolded out from there and, and the relationships and, yeah, the ongoing garden space. Uh, where did you, where were you at school? Just Loyola University, right here in the neighborhood. So I have okay. been here for, yeah, about 16 years now. And the reason that I'm asking these sort of odd questions in that odd sort of way there is the intentionality of building community. And Mm. I think that so many young people, not just young people today, but all of us as young people, moving out of this structure of what education is in the United States today, especially as we move either out of high school or out of that first undergraduate work, it is very hard to reimagine how and why and where we build communities. And part of that is just a failure of imagination in the mainstream United States culture, I think. Um, 
And yet we know it's possible. And you just shared with us one beautiful way to to intentionally build community that both brings you human companionship and relationship, but also adds to the greater sense of community in the world. And I just want to point that out very specifically because I think we are missing models mm. on ways to beautifully craft community in our world. And um, the more models that we are aware of, the better our imaginations are around topics just like that. Yes, absolutely. I think I will uh, affirm what you said about lack of imagination and also an intentional stripping and, and reduction of, of our collective imaginations. And furthermore, that affects our, our ability to imagine Yes, how, how we build community together and how we care for each other and how we structure our societies. And I am personally extremely grateful for the relationships that I built during college and, and after college that opened the door for a, a lot of co-creation and dreaming about our futures that I absolutely would not have been able to do alone. And the yard sharing network, we we also were really emphasizing that we wanted it to be a model. We wanted to practice an idea and we wanted to document it so that other people in other similar settings to us, which are dense urban environments without much space to grow, could also practice this type of, of community building and, and placemaking. So we actually do have a simple little website where we documented our story and put together a toolkit for, for how we built the Yard Cherry Network. And one of our main tools there is just the, the land use agreement, which facilitates the conversation between the, the landowner and the person or people that, that might be guarding there. Just talking about storage and, and water and time availability, things like that. So yes, more models. We are called to, to practice uh, and experiment and, and share ideas with each other. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the important things, and you kind of intimated this a little bit earlier, and I think the idea that you have a land use agreement also is uh, referring to this. It's not easy. It's not easy to be in complex community that is, you know, in essence, a pure democracy in which we are reliant on each other. It's often inconvenient. It often has conflict. Like it's not all beautiful stars and bees and and flowers and fruit, right? It's it's you have to negotiate and you have to practice and you have to you have to open yourself to this kind of 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 work and craft. Yes, to all of that. Practicing our relationships <laughs> and how we communicate, I, I think, is is where so many people recognize that we are really needing to to build our skills to create some foundation for our culture where we are taking care of each other. Yeah. And I think all of these themes that we've been circling and uh, exploring a little bit, Ollie, lead us perfectly into your artwork. So Take us on the pathway that has been your developing sense as an artist, where it started. And anybody who is familiar with your art will be recognizing your very signature themes, but they always involve humans and flowers and plants and roots and stars and togetherness. And, you know, just looking at the the front page on your website, 
You know, it is about interconnectedness. It is about imagination. It is about emerging from beyond this place we find ourselves in 2023 United States into something better. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm going back now to trace a little bit of my art lineage. I am grateful to have memories of being called to drawing and making and cut paper as early as second grade or so. Uh, My mother is uh, a plein air artist and my grandfather, uh, who I mentioned earlier, was also an artist. So I'm extremely, extremely grateful that I had um, supportive parents growing up that gave me the space to consider moving into the arts as a career um, definitely worked against a lot of uh, social fears around that, but I was encouraged from an early age and I am uh, grateful for that foundation. And I studied, as I mentioned, uh, visual communication, uh, which is largely a fancy term for uh, graphic design in college and really was just uh, utilizing an art practice up until maybe 2015 as just a personal practice to process and and integrate information. And then Mm -hmm. in 2015, um, when our project, Let's Go Chicago, uh, started dissolving the house that we were living in as a, as a, several of us were living in an intentional community together was uh, slated to be demolished. And we lost a lot of our infrastructure in that process. And that threw off our ability to continue doing our projects and our work. Um, And alongside that, I was also experiencing some rather heavy burnout. So I moved away from my more direct community work and community organizing. And I'd say around that time is when I pivoted to art making full-time, just kind of continuing a calling there. But also I was feeling in my state of burnout that I was really unsure of of what exactly we were were working toward and and what the future looked like that I, I wanted to be a part of. So art became an outlet for me to really ask these questions and to close my eyes and dip into a deeper web of imagination to really for myself try to understand what it is that I wanted to be a part of and what the future looks like Mm. so those are that was kind of the the door that opened and and where art and imagination uh, allowed me to ask questions and explore and Also, at about this time, I came across uh, one of my favorite quotes by Technohan that reads, we are here to awaken from the illusion of our separateness. And ever since I encountered that quote, I really feel like it's been a through line in my work and that there was some resonant truth there that I wanted to understand better. And it really felt like an invitation of what to move into and what to explore. So I would say that that is maybe the the, the beating heart of, of what I like to seek and and explore um, in my work uh, along, along with many other uh, topics that, that get woven in. 
Yeah, yeah. And the importance, though, of this word we keep coming back to, which is imagination and imagining. You know, I think many people will nod in agreement when I say we create our gardens in order to be with who we want to be with, but also to create the world we want to see and we want to live in. And I see this in your art over and over and over again, that everything you held up as valuable in your opening introduction and in this moment of what I can only imagine and included some some despair and some frustration and some sadness and some fatigue, all of which go into a state of burnout, that your art is very tangibly presenting us with a worldview that you want the world to live up to. And that we know in some of our best moments of community, whether that's with plants or mycorrhiza or the stars above your head at 10,000 feet elevation um, at Snowmass, that those connections are there. But to focus on them and to bring them forward as the way forward is a different thing. And that is what all of your artwork is striving towards from my seat. Mm. Thank you for that. I don't have a lot of opportunities to actually talk, talk with people uh, about my work. So uh, it's always, uh, you know, eye-opening and um, uh, affirming to, to, to hear people's reflections. But yes, I, I think that so many people are naming that we have so many teachers around us, a thriving ecological systems around us. And we are invited to remember that we are just one piece of these ecological pictures and we can study and learn and co-imagine and co-evolve with our key and kin around us. And that there, there are a plethora of ways that, that we can move forward, a plethora of imaginative beings that are inviting us back back into the world. So let's get to your actual art practice and process. I love that it started in many ways as a personal practice to help you process and integrate your life, your days, your your you know your experiences. And um, when you look at how your art has evolved, and the themes that it holds now in its current fullness. Tell us a little bit about that trajectory or evolution and your process. Definitely. You know, there are, I think, a, a lot of, of arching themes that, that continue throughout, you know, it, this idea of exploring what does interconnectedness with my community, with my, the ecology around me. What, what does that look like and feel like? What does the story of our interbeing look like and feel like that runs throughout. And I think in terms of my process, I do spend a lot of time trying to just study and listen to what other people in my neighborhood and my community in my broader political circles are are talking about you know kind of tracking what what is emerging in our conversations and what are the the leading lessons that 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 are coming out 
So I do listen to a lot of podcasts, including this one. Um, I try to to read a lot of books, both science fiction and and nonfiction, uh, just to keep me grounded in um, just political movements. So I take a lot of notes and kind of just doodle in my um, my sketchbook here when, when thoughts arise or when I think critical um, information is popping up and kind of just start to, to doodle and dream about, about these topics. Or I get a lot of inspiration in the garden, just with my hands in the soil, or when I'm walking through mm-hmm. the forest and, and sometimes just, you know, a visual and or a statement, a series of words will kind of just land in me really concretely. And I think lately I've, I've been trying to kind of uh, create co- cohesive bodies that um, explore particular themes. So that's that's been helpful to share my work recently as a wall calendar is just to be like, okay, this will this will get me to to make some work and it will get me to explore some some particular themes. Uh, so the my most recent one, mm-hmm. um, fertile futures, practicing the worlds we want, really was um, playing with questions around what what is in our soil, what's in our social soils, what are the values use and our bedrock that the so-called United States is, is currently growing out of, which I think that we can name is a lot of eugenics and exploitation and white supremacy, colonization. And how do we go deep back into those soils and to re-nourish those spaces, knowing that our, our soils are our foundation for our, our flourishing ecosystems? So this particular body was um, had a lot of visuals of soil and compost and celebrating f- failure as as uh, portals to what is possible, of really naming what I wanted to to see in our foundations and in, in terms of of racial justice and uh, reparations and housing and, and healthcare for all, yeah, and just a lot of uh, offerings from the garden. Um, I have the black raspberries celebrated in here as um, one of my first yeah. teachers of uh, the pleasure and joy of abundance and and the joy of sharing abundance. Um, I also have a piece in here about planting garlic with my friends in the fall because um, mm-hmm. it always just feels like a, the first commitment to coming back again next season I think for for us, usually the fall wanes a bit as we all get busy leading up up to the holidays and all of us are are tired and we haven't even thought about next season at all. And especially since we don't own the land that we're gardening on, there's always a little bit of a question about is is next year going to work out? But when we we plant the garlic, it's almost like I'm making the intention to show up again. I, I want to be here and I want to be here for this future together. So that piece um, reads, make a promise to the future and the roots read, keep showing up. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're speaking this week with artist and advocate Ollie Costello. Through their stargazing, yard-sharing, community, and imagination-building, Ollie literally and visually draws us all together. We'll be back for more with Ollie. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer again. 
I love how, without design or intention, this week's conversation complemented so nicely my speaking of community in and around our conversation last week with Joe Lample. Expressed and perhaps built a little differently, the ideas of growing in community are integral to both of these humans' cultivation in this world. I spend a whole lot of time in my work sitting in front of a desk with my keyboard and the garden view out my front window to keep me company, or with a headset on a mic in front of me, looking into my black recording box in an effort to reach out to you all every week. I don't know most of you. We'll never see your gardens or share tea or flowers or vegetables with you throughout the seasons, at least not literally. But I will tell you this. When I'm on the road, which is both energizing and exhausting, and one of you comes up to say hi, it means everything to me. You all in your general natures and your specific lives companion me daily in this work. And to know that I companion some of you, like Farmer Earl Hampton, early on Saturday mornings as he makes his way to Covington Market, or Yvette Weaver as she does her gardening work on the High Line every Monday morning, or Johanna Garrison of Saratoga Springs, New York, after a long week at school. To know that you are out there listening doubles down on my own purpose and passion. So thank you all for sharing with me. Thanks to Shoba and Chandra in New York and to Lisa Lane and Jan Burnham of California for reminding me why I do what I do and why it matters to me to show up. Thank you for being out there listening and growing along with me. Oh, and hey, Portland, Oregon friends, please come and say hi when I'm in your area on October 19th, 7 p.m. at the Powell's Bookstore at Cedar Hills Crossing. This is a joint event of Powell's Books and the Hardy Plant Society of Oregon, and I'll be in conversation with Lori Bull of the Danger Garden. So I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun and seed and plant love. So I hope to meet and see you there. We're back now to our conversation with visual artist, community advocate, and gardener, Ollie Costello. As we come back, Ollie shares much more about the process around their art and craft. So I'll go back to a little bit of um, my art origins. Back in high school, I uh, was, uh, I think it was just my sophomore year, um, my teacher gave us an assignment where we needed to find a photo in a magazine and then trace over it and recreate it completely with cut paper. And she brought in all of mm. these screen printed colorful sheets of paper. And I just fell absolutely in love. And I started taking pieces home from class and kept playing with it at home. And 
I was working with a lot of bands in, in high school. And so I, I was making a work primarily with just cut paper collage work. And so that has kind of stuck with me ever since um, sophomore year mm. of high school. And so I have a big old rack of paper that kind of uh, is what I, I start each piece with is, is picking out some colors that I want to be the central themes. Um, usually I'll go with a, a thumbnail and I'll, I'll kind of get the concept of, of the piece. And then I will move to a full pencil sketch that is the, the actual size. So I'll uh, draw out mo most of the elements of it. And then if I'm going to be moving to doing some painting, I'll um, put that on my light box and trace the aspects of it that I want painted onto the, the final Bristol piece. And then I build up with the paper from there. So I'll go back to my original pencil sketch and I'll trace it with um, tracing paper and then find the colors I want or, or make the colors I want if I wind up painting the paper. And uh, there is, I usually get to quite a state of chaos on my desk with just <laughs> scraps of paper everywhere and colored pencils being pushed off to the side and my paints scattered everywhere. So I, I yeah, it descends into um, uh, some moments of mess. And then when I'm finally able to start gluing it together, my confidence builds again. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, I'm coming back to the original idea of this and not just this. <laughs> if I breathe too heavy, all of the stars fly off the page. But uh, yes, yeah, that's kind of my process. Okay. So when I see any one image, you have you have an idea in mind, you then pick your colors, you then cut, and then you paste, and then you photograph? And then um, the I'll scan them. Uh, usually I'll do oh, multiple okay. scans since I, I have just a like nine by 12 scanner, uh, and stitch them together online. And I do a little, little bit of editing on the computer. Uh, I like to make the stars glow, mm -hmm. um, or sometimes I'll just fi fix up some, some pieces where the glue might be showing, but primarily mo most of my cut paper work is, uh, non-digital. So on your website, I see, you know, you're, you're, you have cards, you have Lise prints, you have. <laughs> it's, um, it's Gicle. I had to look it up the first time I needed to order them because oh, I had. Okay, good. Yes. Gicle. We've all learned a, a good pronunciation today. Um, you take commissions, you do donations, you ho hopefully are able to support your work, both your, your actual everyday work and your pro bono work, uh, through this endeavor. Do you sell your originals? I I do yes. Um, not so often. I think I I have held on to them. Um, for instances like I just had my first large solo show yes. in Michigan yes. this past fall, which was a wonderful experience, and um, I I was invited to fill fill quite a sizable gallery. So I was glad that I had held on to a lot. But um, yes, most most of my pieces uh, are for sale. And about what size do they do they generally stay at that scannable size or what size do you tend to work in for your original piece? Most of my pieces are 11 by 14. Um, some of them for the calendar this year were, were 14 by 18. And I have also worked uh, uh, 16 by 20. Um, so kind of on the smaller scale in the, the scheme of artwork by a bit of mm -hmm. a range there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And people can follow you on Instagram, I know. Uh, are there other ways that, that can they subscribe to your website? Can they? I do have a newsletter. I um, 
always hope that I am posting on there more and have an intention to this year since I have started to share a little bit less on Instagram, but wanting to still invite people into my process. So I'm starting to, to share a bit more uh, on my newsletter, which I actually also cross post just onto the blog on, on my website. Uh, so mm-hmm. people can kind of see larger updates there. My most recent one was a, a large reflection on last year and my decision to, to again, not, not do a calendar this coming year. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I'm in a bit of a state of uh, some adjustments in how I am framing my art practice and how I want to be creating work, which I think is really just a response to us continuing to move into more and more uncertainty and a deeper, deeper need to be engaging in, in world changing work. So yes, I'm really, I'm really grateful that I have a pretty stable income with my online sales and that I'm so happy to get to share my work with people. And I'm starting to try and think a little bit outside of the boxes of how I have been making work, which uh, tends to be uh, a bit solo in in my studio and my community work has been more more gardening, but I'm interested in, in going back to be um, co-imagining w- with other people in new ways and co-building with people. And I think that that's, yeah, what we are all being called into in, in deeper uh, and new ways in order to address the increasing uh, violence of our society. Yeah. When you look back at these many years of sharing your work, of crafting your work, of building your in-person human community, but as well your more remote um and associated tangential community, which, you know, has its has its downsides. We all know this. We all know that there are downsides to choosing to build community on a platform like Instagram or a website. And yet it connects us to each other in these less obvious ways that can be also, we know, very very fertile and very inspiring and helpful and hopeful. Um, you know, and and like I I just think of your art and that association between the stars and the roots and the mycorrhiza and and then the the stars in the skies and the stars lacing people's bodily figures and why that's important to keep visualizing that. When you think of all that. What is your greatest hope? And I think you've spoken of it, but I would love to have you end with focusing on that in particular. What is your greatest hope? Hmm. You know, I really just see myself and my art practice and my personal imagination as an extension of our collective imagination. And I think that the reason that many people enjoy my work is because the themes that I'm exploring also resonate with the questions and the visions that other people are, are also experiencing and also wanting to lean into. And I think that there is a lot of um, power and, and possibility uh, in naming that all of our imaginations are connected 
And I think that another aspect of power is that when we share our imaginations and when we share our visions, they grow and they take root in others. And I think that that is how emergence happens. That's how we shape change is that in these small scales, what we're practicing in our own lives, what we're practicing with our friends and our our close community, eventually those practices uh, create patterns that that influence our larger social structures. And and that's where our our power to create change comes from is in this, the magic of the fractal and the, the, the magic of emergence to just practice things and fail and experiment and grow together. And eventually those lessons and, and the nutrients of it all will affect the, the larger structures of, of the world that we're wanting to build. Thank you so much. If you were to share with me and listeners three to five plants, you would not want to live without in this world. What would those? Oh, what be? a fun invitation! Um, I I'll maybe just contextually add that uh, I have an offshoot of our our local library where we um, are picking plants that that we want to have deeper relationships with, partially because we realized that. Uh, with the seed library, we most of our time together was just focused on the library logistics. And here are all of these people wanting to come together to learn how to save seeds, uh, but not really having the time <laughs> for that. So we have a little club offshoot that we coined the the seed pod where we're, um, yeah, inviting ourselves to build relationships with um, with seeds and get to know their story and just learn how to s- try to save true to site seeds in the city. So I, um, yes, I feel a particular fondness with zinnias. Uh, I think maybe just from there, a lot of the colors of, of the flowers really show up in my work. Uh, we also named our uh, border collie mix zinnia. Um, so uh, I have a, a fondness uh, connection for my dog. So I'd say name zinnias. Uh, Black raspberry is definitely one of the first friends that I remember um, learning so much from about uh, abundance and, and generosity. Mm, I, um, I'm a, a big salad person. Um, my favorite lettuce so far is the, the uh, blush butter oak that mm-hmm. I've gotten from Hudson Valley Seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tulsi is a dear friend of mine uh, in, in my teas. Mm-hmm. And... Let's see. You know what? I'm going to name just a particular fondness for this tiny little peach tree that is growing in my backyard. Um, that it's, it's my favorite fruit. And I didn't really think that they would grow that well here. But my, my landlord brought over this tiny little stick of a tree two years ago. And this past summer, we harvested 40 peaches off of this, this young tree. And it really had me feeling like anything is possible if I can harvest peaches in my own city backyard. Um, so yeah, so I'm grateful for all of these plant friends and, and their, what they bring to my life. Oh, beautiful. I love it. I love it. Thank you again. And um, was there anything I didn't ask that you wanted me to get to and you still have time to answer? Mm. 
you know, I did print out a series of papers of just being prepared to answer things. Let me just look and see if there's anything highlighted that stands out. Hmm. I think maybe I'll just share this quote and I'm not sure if it will be able to weave in or not, but uh, it really grounds me in um, the power uh, of our imaginations to shape the world. And it's a quote by Gloria Anzaldu. Nothing happens in the real world until it happens in the images in our own head. And I think that just really frames that if we, we look out the window and we see the structures around us, the, the houses, the, the way the streets are built, the society that, that we have constructed, it was all imagined. And so we have the ability to say, whose imaginations do we want to live within and to kind of take that power back um, for uh, our, our communities. Beautiful. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program and for uh, your shared imagination, Ollie. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. It's been a pleasure. Ollie Costello is a white, non-binary queer artist, illustrator, food grower, honeybee tender, and a seeker of mysticism. Through their creative work, which includes both visual arts and community building and reimagining, Ollie explores themes of interconnectedness, cosmology, reciprocity, queer ecology, biomimicry, and emergence. Through their art and advocacy, they are passionately cultivating all of our radical imaginations, helping us to co-create our emergent new world. Ollie hopes their work can be a small contributing part of creating our new culture, grounded in honoring the inherent value of all beings and pushing us beyond cultures of white supremacy, violence, and greed toward a culture of accountability, collective wellness, and abundance. Please read more about Ollie's political beliefs and commitments on their commitment to community page over at mollycostello.com. Join us again next week when in this autumnal season of endings and beginnings, we welcome back writer and gardener Margaret Rankel to share so much more about her newest labor of love that is a book the Comfort of Crows, a backyard year. That's next week, right here. Join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communication support by Sheila Stern. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX. 
Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. I love you. Make you-